Hello and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Today is episode number seven of our special makeup episodes. To make up for all that time I missed from you over the last two weeks while I've been on vacation. So we have a single topic today to cover, and let's get right on into it. And again, welcome back to a special episode of What's Brewing CISFA. For today's topic, I decided it was going to be FAFSA simplification. In fact, so simple, when I look at the notes that I put on my page here, because I always have my notes up in my Evernote, I have almost nothing there. That's how simplified the FAFSA has been. But really, FAFSA simplification, we could talk specifically about <clears throat> what it's meant in the last couple years, over a long period of time, and where we're heading. Let's start back way back in the day. I can tell you, when I started going to college, that's how a bad story always starts, right? When I started going to college, it was actually a paid-for form. It wasn't no free application for sure. It was a, I think it was just called the financial aid form, and either College Board or ETS or one of those services that also does testing was handling the form. And so you do all the kind of basic stuff about put your information, some income information, asset information, how many people in the household, standard form. You list the college or colleges you're considering because this was coming out of high school again. So I was looking at maybe two or three different schools. And you'd pay a certain fee to have all those schools receive the results. And, of course, the federal government, too. And then somewhere during my undergraduate years, during one of the reauthorizations, I'm sure, of the Higher Education Amendment, or Act, the Act as amended, we got the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. The form would be processed for the federal government for free for students, results sent to schools, and it would be used to determine your aid eligibility. So that was simplification in the sense that it cost nothing. I think back, though, in those days, too, there was still over 100 questions on the form. But in reality, no one ever fills out all of the questions. There are some sections meant for some students and parents that some don't have to do. If you don't file a tax return, you don't have to fill out certain lines about uh, your adjusted gross income, your taxes paid, your exemptions, etc. And so there are some things that get to be skipped over. But the form was long. But over the years, you know, some things were added. You know, at one point, we added in from, uh, questions about drug convictions. I think this was probably in the late 90s. And it basically was asking if you had ever been convicted of possessing or selling illegal drugs. And it was a number of very complicated questions for those who might have had that kind of involvement to mark accordingly because... What would happen is either it would not have any effect on your aid at all because it happened so long ago or because of the type of uh, conviction it was. It could mean that you weren't going to be eligible for aid 
for the whole school year or that you might not be eligible for aid at all, depending upon, uh, again, a number of different factors. And so that was added into the form, added some confusion. Of course, when you're talking about that, then other questions come up, you know, well, what if a person is a former felon? Can they still get aid? Well, yes, if it wasn't one of these things specifically to being, uh, you know, convicted of possessing or selling illegal drugs, yes, very possibly. And so those type of moral type of uh, questions would come up. But this was added for a particular reason at a particular time. Uh, someone in Congress or whatever asked for it. And thus it became a rule. We've always had that requirement for selective service for male students between 18 and 25. So uh, that got simplified recently. This was part of the recent FAFSA simplification process. Because back in December 2020, the FAFSA Simplification Act, in a sense, was passed as part of a larger uh, congressional bill, probably a lot of funding type of things going on. This was, of course, in the first year of the pandemic, but it got passed, and it put into effect a lot of things that we'd been looking at for a number of years. We always had uh, a, a champion on our side, maybe not for everybody, they would say, but uh, Senator Lamar Alexander who also at one time had been Secretary of Education, had always talked about trying to get the FAFSA down to a postcard's worth of information. And so he's always had that drive. And this FAFSA simplification gets us, I guess, closer to his dream of having a shorter FAFSA. Why do we want a shorter FAFSA? We want more students to apply, less students and parents to be confused, and less students and parents giving the wrong information because they just don't know exactly what's being asked for on the form. Now, I've never found the FAFSA to be as complicated as a tax return, but if you are a first-time parent or student looking at it, it can be extremely daunting of a form. And so FAFSA simplification was needed, is needed, and will probably continue to be needed as things move forward. Now, of course, there's some trade-offs. You know, the simpler you make a form or the less information you ask, the less information you have available to kind of really, you know, refine how you calculate and determine whether a student has need for financial aid. You know, if all I asked you was how much money did you earn in a given year, it, in my mind, I might be able to kind of play around and come up with an idea. Well, you know, yeah, you're rich or you're doing well or you're not. But I haven't asked you all the other things that could relate to that. What if you were self-employed and all I asked you were your gross earnings? It tells me nothing about the expenses of you running your business. What's the net on that? Or for those even with a W-2 and you have what seems to be good income, what if you have, like a friend of mine, six kids? Well, that's a large household to support. And do we take into that, take that into account? I may not have, and thus... When I'm trying to figure out financial aid eligibility for uh, someone in that household, I could be far off. So there's that kind of issue. I've always thought that, you know, if the FAFSA, if there was some way to just glean this information from the IRS who has so much more information on income and such from the households, to use as many years as possible of income and information. Because again, it gives us a long-term view of the family's fiscal stability. Because the FAFSA really just asks for one year of income. 
like we talked about in a number of episodes ago, the FAFSA that comes out this October of 2022 will be for the school year that starts the fall of 2023 and we'll use income from 2021. Just one year of income. What if we could have multiple years of income so they do some averaging? Well, can't really do that. There's ways to address issues after the fact for those who may have lost jobs, retired, uh, been laid off, etc. But that's done at the school level. But on a federal form, you know, there's no easy way to do that. But again, would you really want parents and students to try to be submitting multiple years of tax returns? Again, I would never want to do that. Thus, FAFSA simplification does make sense. But again, it's how much you can refine that information so that you're being as accurate as possible. We are talking about federal aid, federal dollars, going to students who hopefully are trying to complete academic programs so that uh, they better their lives, but also hopefully get a you know good employment down the line. You know, higher education, this would be a whole separate topic of multiple five-hour shows talking about the value of education and where have we gone with college as far as the liberal arts and all those other things. <laughs> and, you know, is college just now nothing but finding good employment? Long-term conversations, and I'm not probably the person smart enough to hold those conversations for you. But at least with current years, FAFSA simplification, back on topic, as we're talking today, it's really a case of trying to make that form more manageable for students and parents. And again, so like they took out some things recently. They took out the selective service requirement. They took out the drug conviction questions. Now, the thing is, though, if you look at a current modern day FAFSA, you may still see those questions, but they're no longer part of the eligibility requirements on the form. The other thing is they're going to tinker a little bit with that federal formula that calculates the EFC. They're going to tinker with it so much, they're not even going to call it EFC anymore. So instead of having an expected family contribution number, we're going to have what they call the student aid index. And there will be some changes to that. In the past, you know, an EFC could be no lower than zero. But in reality, we knew that students and parents probably had what the formula would calculate to be a negative EFC. In other words, it's one thing if the federal government says, based upon all your income and information presented on the FAFSA, we would expect you could give $0 towards the cost of going to school. In a sense, a zero EFC. But what if that income was even much lower than that? Then in a sense, they're not even meeting their, by formula, overall living costs. In a sense, then we would have a negative EFC. There's no way that's accounted for currently. But this is something that through FASTA simplification and some tweaking to the formula will be accountable in some way in the formula. It will have negative EFCs. But again, like I said, we're even changing the wording. It's not going to be EFC. It's going to be SAI, Student Aid Index. Because in a sense, that's the terminology many of us have been using out in the field when we talk to parents because they'll go, my EFC is 3000 when I filled out my FAFSA. Does that mean I have to give $3,000 to the school? No. In a sense, that number has always been kind of an indexing number. High or low, it kind of told us high or low your aid eligibility. We put it into the formula to account for it as if it's a resource you already have. 
but it's also really used by a school to figure out if your EFC is zero, that tells us one thing. If your EFC is 5,000, tells us that you have some financial wherewithal potentially to cover some costs directly on a year-to-year basis. Or if your EFC is 70,000, it tells us that realistically you have much better financial means probably to cover a higher percentage or even dollar amount of a year or more of college. But now we're going to call it the SUNAID index to give it probably the most appropriate term we can come up with. Now we'll have more under FAFSA simplification rolling out over the next few years from the act. So we're going to actually save that for some future shows uh, between now and the end of the month of June Uh, because I definitely want to talk to some of my colleagues about the things that are coming up because we're coming up again on another FAFSA cycle. And this will be one that takes into account some of these simplification things over the last year or so. Uh, They've finally been able to make updates to the form and get things ready because it's still being, you know, phased in along the way as the Department of Education can do so as quick as possible. So we're going to leave off there on FAFSA simplification uh, because that's all we really have time for today. But don't worry, there's one more of these special episodes and then we have regular episodes coming up soon enough. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in. And remember, What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana Yarbrough. This has been episode number 190, recorded Friday, May 27th, 2022. Everybody, have a great day.